my name is Janelle Hart and I'm a managing editor at Sightline. Joining me today is Chris Smith, president of Icon Biotech Solutions. Today we are going to discuss current trends in the biotech landscape and predictions for future innovation, regulation, and globalization in this space. Let's dive in. Chris, I just wanted to start this interview today talking about generally the current biotech landscape and your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. I, I think currently the lack of funding is really what dominates the biotech landscape. And it's been challenging over the last couple of years since the highs of 2021. I guess 2022, we uh, saw a, an 80% drop in IPOs, similarly large decrease in crossover rounds, and VC investment was also down nearly 25%, I think. So what I feel we're seeing at the end of 2023 now is the start of a, a measured return to pre-pandemic levels of funding rather than a sort of rapid um, bounce back. And there have certainly been more IPOs this year. We're seeing good science is being funded. And so biotechs are tending to, to narrow their focus and progress their lead candidates to uh, commercial milestones rather than trying to build a, a sort of a broad pipeline. And you know, on top of that pipeline prioritization, we're also seeing some biotech restructurings and layoffs, but you know, certainly less than we've seen in the past. And and that indicates the cost-saving measures that the biotechs were taking are working, they're setting in. I think lower valuations of biotech companies has has also led to quite a bit of MA activity. But you know, for me, encouragingly, a recent survey of biotech decision makers. That actually was conducted in uh, collaboration with Sightline and, and Icon. And there we saw that biotech companies are expecting their R&D spend to increase over the next one to two years. And I guess, therefore, although biotech stalled a little in recent years, this is indicating that we're going to see a return to, to stronger growth. You know, there's so many innovations that, that we're looking to be transformed into therapies for patients now. Absolutely. You know, you speak of a lot of current trends that are very interesting in the space. Um, and you also touched upon a few challenges that biotechs are facing um, at large. So aside from funding and what you've mentioned so far, what are some of those other key challenges that are being faced in the industry? Yeah, like you say, lack of funding, that, that's a, a key challenge. But managing the complexity of R&D, in particular, running clinical trials, that, that's definitely posing one of the largest challenges for biotech companies today. You know, the trials are costly, time-consuming, hard to recruit patients into, and uh, re require significant expertise and coordination. I think there's probably, I mean, there's, there's many challenges, but probably two more. You know, biotech companies are challenged in their ability to secure talent with the appropriate experience. And um, finally, I'd say access to digital technology. So by that, I mean AI, ML, automation, all of that technology can positively impact the clinical trial process. But it does require a lot of money and, and also the ability to keep current with the rapid advances. And I think, you know, a, a small biotech company is always going to be challenged to achieve that. Definitely. Um, digital transformation has been, you know, a huge adaption point for many companies. Um, I'm curious, though, as to how these challenges are, um, you know, adapted to different from large pharma companies. I'm talking biotech specifically. Yeah, I mean, bi biotech companies are definitely facing different sets of challenges to, to large pharma. You know, the biotech companies are the ones that are driving the 
innovative drug development, often focused on just one or two compounds, usually just one specific therapeutic area. But the biotech companies often lack the full array of resources and infrastructure that that are required to take those innovations to market. And to accomplish the work that is required, we find that people in biotech companies, especially the smaller ones, need to wear many hats. And they're also experiencing different pressures. You know, we've mentioned the limiting limited funding, and and that often means that they're focused on nearer term milestones rather than you know the ability to look at the um, the, the bigger picture. And those milestones are, are usually value inflection points, which are going to allow them to generate positive news flow and support the next tranche of funding or support an IPO. And I'm glad you brought up kind of smaller to mid-sized biotechs um, because they seem to be, you know, kicking off a lot of the innovation in this industry. So I'm I'm interested to hear what has been the impact of, you know, regulatory legislation and guidance on biotech innovation um, and growth, you know, in this kind of landscape and especially for those smaller companies. Yeah, I mean, the legislation, regulatory legislation and guidance is is obviously a significant barrier to innovation, I would say. And also a barrier to the ability of biotech companies to actually deliver their their clinical trials. It's hard for a small company to operate in a macro environment where the pace and complexity of change, especially with these regulatory requirements, is so rapid. And the regulations also require, or I guess they're different across different regions of, of the world. And to operate in an environment like this, biotech companies need talent with the required skill set they need appropriate access to regularly updated databases of regulations as well. And, you know, I, I think often that's where they turn to partnerships. You know, those partnerships can be beneficial if that partner has the geographic footprint and the qualified resources to advise and, and help the company navigate the various regulations. You know, speaking of just clinical trial development and management, I'm trying to discern what kind of trends in the space that you're seeing, talking through different sizes of biotechs, you know, pulling in that partnership aspect, all of that. I mean, from a trends perspective, I'd say, you know, we've got continuous scientific innovations in the development of therapies. and, And we're seeing that clinical trials are becoming more complex, particularly in terms of the trial designs. So, for example, a cell therapy study requires staff with specific expertise to plan and deliver the studies, but also there are specific regulations that they're operating under. And safety screening is going to be important. It's tough to find sites with the required capabilities. Those are limited. Patients are hard to recruit. You know, the logistical considerations are, are critical. And, you know, what we're finding is not every biotech company is going to have that experience and expertise in-house. And you mentioned just those novel clinical trial designs. Do you have any maybe advice or suggestions for smaller companies or emerging startups who are looking to execute those kind of novel clinical trials? You know, what's a good starting point for them? Yeah, I mean, those companies, obviously, as I've mentioned, have limited staff resources who are able to contribute to the planning and design of of those novel trials. And often we're finding the the teams have exceptional scientific or business expertise, but actually their clinical trial experience is is a little bit more limited. 
And in that case, I would say a good starting point is just develop a relationship with a CRO partner who's got the necessary experience and is going to act as a consultative partner and provide the necessary drug development advice. Now, switching gears, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on some of the most exciting kind of innovations in the biotech space that you've seen recently. We're obviously seeing great progress in areas such as Alzheimer's and and obesity. Every day there's, there's emails alerting us to the latest developments there. But I would say it's the innovations in personalized medicine are the ones that, that capture my attention. You know, here I'm talking about treatments that are tailored for the individual rather than the traditional, I guess, sort of one size fits all approach. And we're definitely seeing a revolution in advanced therapies, um, such as the cell and gene therapies. I think it was 2019 when the FDA predicted that by 2025, they would be approving 10 to 20 new cell and gene therapies a year. And without doubt, we're on uh, on track for that prediction to be proved true. But I, I guess if I had to name one recent innovation, for me, it would be the expected approval of the first CRISPR-based gene editing therapy, CRISPR Therapeutics and Vertex um, have developed, you know, in in recent weeks, it cleared an FDA advisory committee, and we're expecting it to be approved by FDA for sickle cell disease. That would make it the first CRISPR-based medicine available in the US. And, you know, also, if successful, I I think we're also going to see further indications being approved next year. Absolutely. A lot of exciting things happening right now. But as a follow-up question, aside from CRISPR, what kind of future innovations are you most anticipating in this space? I mean, we're going to continue to see progress in the areas previously mentioned. But, you know, for me, I would say a future innovation could be the the combination of some existing approaches. And so CAR T cells, for example, potentially have great efficacy, but just being able to generate those cells is a complicated process. It's time consuming, obviously very costly. And to advance these CAR T cell therapies, Researchers are now looking for more efficient ways to generate the CAR T cells, and we're beginning to see the development of the next generation of CAR T cell therapies actually using CRISPR technology for the genetic editing. And that is actually allowing us to overcome some of the limitations of the CAR T therapies and producing something that's a bit more affordable, has better efficacy and and certainly less off-target toxicities. Seems like, you know, cell and gene therapy specifically have their own challenges. But with those challenges come that barrier of like global access and the global market. So do you have any thoughts to contribute on the global market and what it looks like for biotechs today? The global market for biotech companies actually still remains very U.S. focused, although we do see some strength over here in Europe and UK, Germany, France, and also Asia, Pac, India and, and China. But it is very much uh, U.S. focus. And I think that focus on the U.S. is primarily driven by the availability of funds. You know, the U.S. biotechs are receiving significantly more private funding, certainly more than the European biotechs. And, you know, when it comes to the public markets, we're also seeing the the IPOs being much larger on NASDAQ than, than the exchanges elsewhere. So European biotechs continue to look to the U.S. for their public offerings. Based on that answer, I'm just curious as to how 
you think that biotech companies can maybe successfully expand in these types of markets that don't have much, you know, that exposure just yet, um, while mitigating those kind of costs and time risks that you've spoken so far about? I mean, there's a number of ways that biotech companies can successfully expand in in new markets, and 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 they're doing it. You know, it's either through partnering or M&A with other biotech companies in those new markets, or through partnerships with large pharma companies. But I think the most common reason for wanting to expand into a new market is the ability to support their clinical trials. And in these cases, a sensible way to have a presence in the new market is is to partner with a CRO like Icon, who has a global footprint that produces something that is almost immediate and the presence can be flexed up or down to match the need and thereby both cost and time risks are mitigated. That's a great transition because I was just going to ask you about how Icon is providing that kind of um, support to biotechs in the industries. Like what services and approaches um, are most important for biotech specifically in this field? The majority of biotech companies want to build a trusted partnership on a full service rather than a functional service basis. We're we're finding it's a full service. And, you know, that means Icon needs to provide the customer service that the biotech company is is looking for and also keep the promises made at the proposal stage when we're selected as the the partner CRO. You know, we try to ensure that both parties have a clearly defined set of shared goals, and then we just track that progress towards those goals through key performance indicators that just keep us aligned and heading in that same direction. And, you know, finally, the companies are looking for transparency and clear communication that's critical. And here at Icon, we've got a biotech division, more than 8,000 people operating with a mindset that is just 100% aligned to that of our biotech sponsor companies. And the teams are dedicated to serving those unique needs of biotech companies that we've mentioned before, and thereby understand the pressures the companies are facing as they look to develop their life-changing treatments. My final question to, for you today, Chris, is, you know, where do you see the biotech industry growing? Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of pain points and challenges. Um, maybe in the next 10 years, like, how do you think this space will evolve? That's interesting. I think, you know, we know that biotech companies operate with a lean structural model. They're looking to outsource about 80% of their, their R&D spends. All indications are that that will continue to increase. And so the reliance on CRO partnerships, I think, will become greater and greater. You know, we've talked about those trends of increasingly complex clinical trials. The requirement for support and partnership is is just going to be greater. I think geographically, you know, we we can expect more growth in Asia-Pac than elsewhere. Certainly, you know, China is, you know, from a biotech perspective, is, is looking incredibly strong and there's other key areas in, in the region as well that are also uh, continuing to, to grow and strengthen. I think from a, um, from a therapeutic perspective, biotech has always focused on oncology, and, and I, I don't think that is, is going to change. But, you know, we're continuing to see some great breakthroughs in, in other therapeutic areas as, as well. But, you know, ultimately, I see biotech as, you know, the feeder for large pharma pipelines. It's, it's really large pharma that has got that real strength in commercialization. And so, again, that's a good partnership within the industry, the innovation coming from biotech and the commercial strength from large pharma. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Chris, uh, for those insights. Is there any last thoughts that you would like to add there? My job allows me to work within Biotech. And I think the last couple of years have obviously been a challenge from a funding perspective, but we're definitely, you know, I'm optimistic. We're seeing green shoots of recovery. And also, like I said, it's encouraging to see that not only do biotech companies expect their R&D spend to increase in the next couple of years, but the proportion of that outsourced R&D spend is also expected to increase. And so companies that are outsourcing strategically to CROs like Icon are benefiting from our industry-leading therapeutic and clinical trial experience. Well, thank you, Chris, for taking the time to have this discussion today. I would also like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Icon, for making this insightful conversation possible, as well as our listeners. Thanks for tuning in.